Welcome to Copper Courier's The Conduit, your connection to what's happening in Arizona. I'm your host, Cameron Stevenson, and for the first time in a long time, immigration is not the number one issue on Arizona's minds. Immigration usually overtakes all other issues in border states like ours. But recent polling from OH Predictive Insights shows that the coronavirus pandemic is still on the top of everyone's minds, but not in the way you might think. Surprisingly, healthcare is only seen as the third most pressing issue, right behind the economy. But with encouragement from the White House for people to put their health at risk and get back to work in order to save the economy, it makes sense that the 43% of Arizonans that support President Trump would prioritize the economy over healthcare. But the number one issue Arizonans are concerned about is education. Parents, guardians, students, and teachers are relatively uncertain about what's going to happen when the next school year begins. While Governor Doug Ducey has quickly reopened the state's economy, Superintendent of Public Instruction Kathy Hoffman has taken a more cautious approach. At this time, she has not made any formal announcements as to whether or not she'll change her original plans to open up the classrooms in the fall. But just because immigration has taken a backseat in people's minds doesn't mean there isn't a lot going on at the border. Ellen Chamberlain, one of Courier's content producers in Michigan, recently spoke with an immigration attorney from Arizona who is working to protect detained migrants during these perilous times. Here's a little bit of Ellen's interview with Monica Andrade, an ACLU attorney who is working to get detained migrants out of detention centers, which are quickly becoming hotbeds for spreading the coronavirus. I haven't seen um, anything get completely closed down, but I have heard of people's hearings getting rescheduled, right? And when you've been in detention for 18 months and this next hearing could have possibly been the hearing where you um, work for bond and the judge was going to decide whether you were going to get released and now it's getting pushed until next year or nobody really knows when, um, that really impacts a lot of people. Um, so what we're, at least what we're trying to do on our end, um, is to urge ICE, um, at least get the courts to urge ICE to release people that are vulnerable so that they can go back into the communities. I think one thing that we have to keep in mind is that um, immigration detention, by definition, right, it's civil detention. It's not supposed to be punitive. The reason we have um, civil detention is to get people to go to their court hearings um, or while people are about to be removed or deported, right? Um, and so there are other ways to do that, um, and it doesn't have to be detention. And so if you know, if the jail is aware, ICE is aware that um, there's this pandemic going on and people are getting sick from it. We've already had people in St. Clair County Jail um, get uh, contract COVID. And we know what the experts are saying, right? We know that the experts are saying we have to really, we um, have to social distance and we have to practice hygiene, hygiene or strict hygiene. There is no way for that to happen um, in any of the detention centers. And I can tell you a little bit of, we've done declarations from people that are detained in, um, in all these detention centers, specifically in the Calhoun one, um, which is like the biggest one that Michigan has, right? There's like about 130 people that are in Calhoun. Um, and sometimes you have people up and up. The number that I heard is 60 people to a pod. There's absolutely no way for people to social distance or practice any sort of hygiene. Um, we have declarations of people that are telling us that you know, when you first come into the Calhoun County Jail, you're giving you're given like a a, a bar of soap. Um, but then when you run out, if you don't have access to funds, or, you know, your family doesn't have money, or you yourself don't have money, there's no way for you to get the things that you need that experts are saying that you need to have in order to um, to survive and not contract this virus. Can you talk about what's exacerbating this issue? Because I mean, 
detaining people who are not criminal has been happening for quite some time. Mm-hmm. But, um, with the pandemic, um, has it been our, our country's immigration policy coming out of the White House? Has it been the way our state is handling the pandemic? Like, is there anything that's made a bad situation worse here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I don't think it's anything the state has done. I think it, it really all comes down to eyes. Eyes can make the decision. They can unilaterally make the decision and say, instead of keeping people detained because we know that there's a pandemic going on, we're going to release people on, on tethers. There's other ways to supervise people and make sure that they go to their court hearings, which are not even happening, or for people to be um, to meet officers at the airport to be deported, but that's also not happening because other countries have closed down their borders. Um, so it's not up to the jail to say, we're going to release these people because technically they're in um, custody of ICE. And so it's up to ICE to say, we're going to release everyone. Okay. And then I've got two personal questions for you, if you're able to answer mm-hmm. them. But I wanted to ask you, uh, why law? And why mm-hmm. or how did you find yourself a good fit with the ACLU? Yeah, of course. Um, it's funny. Well, it's a funny story how I found the ACLU. But so law, um, you know, I I was in this a uh, very similar situation than a lot of the people that were um, when we had the family separation crisis. I was six when I came into the U.S. and I remember going to the desert with my mom and my two siblings. Um, and so growing up, I knew um, how important law was. It was a thing that was keeping us from being able to, um, you know, be human, really, because I, I remember the first time someone, you know, my mom first said um, that you're an illegal, right? And she didn't know that that's not a word that you're not supposed to use, that people are really not, um, there's no, like, no human can be illegal. Um, and so I knew that I needed this paper um, to, in, in my mind, when I was 10 years old, that I cannot be fully human without this paperwork. And I knew how important the law was. And I saw how it impacted uh, a lot of members in my family. So it it was the thing that I really wanted to do. I ended up in social work because I thought that's a way that I can help people. Um, and at the time, it seemed easier to do it that way because I didn't have documentation, right? And so I lived in fear a lot, was hiding a lot. Um, and so, and a, lot of my, uh, a lot of my friends or colleagues that I was in uh, college with also didn't know what was going on. And so I ended up in social work. Eventually, things worked out for me. But the first time I heard of the ACLU, it's funny because it actually happened in a detention center. I was a social worker in a detention center back in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I decided there is this line that I can't seem to cross when I want to help people. Um, and, it, and it's because I can't show up to court for them. Um, I would see a lot of people detained just like they are detained by ICE and uh, at the, the Coconino County Jail. And I couldn't understand at the time, why are people being kept um, when they're telling me they haven't committed a crime, um, they haven't done anything, and really all they've done is come to this country to provide a better life for their families. Um, and then all of a sudden, I would see people disappear, and then I would find out that they were deported and thought, I can't imagine what that's like. You spent 20, 30 years in this country, and then all of a sudden, your father is gone or your mother is gone. Um, and so then I decided I'm going to go to law school. Um, I had I knew about the ACLU a little bit because of uh, SB 1070, like the anti-immigration laws came out of Arizona. So I heard about them, but mainly I had heard about the community org- organizers that were working around that. So I didn't exactly know what the ACLU was. And so on my last day at the detention center, I very respectfully went to say goodbye to one of the lieutenants that worked there. Um, and the, the one thing I remember him saying was, um, oh, I heard you were going to law school. Congratulations. Just don't go becoming one of these ACLU lawyers. And I thought, 
okay, but not knowing. I'm very naive. I didn't know what that was. I said, yeah, sure, I won't. And then I remember getting home and I looked up, you know, what um, an ACLU lawyer was. And I thought, well, why wouldn't you want to be an ACLU lawyer? So it's interesting because that was the thing that kind of um, uh, catapulted me to like, let's check this out and see what it's about. And then my first summer um, after law school, when you're supposed to get like this internship, um, I ended up uh, interning at the ACLU of Arizona just to check it out. And I haven't looked back since. So it's been a great experience. Wow. Okay. All right. So did, did your family immigrate directly to Arizona? Yeah, that's where we went. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. And where are you from originally? Uh, Mexico. Yeah. Thank you so much for the information, this background. Yeah, thank you. Again, I'd like to thank Ellen Chamberlain from Courier's Gander Newsroom in Michigan for being a part of today's episode. For The Conduit, I'm Cameron Stevenson. Mm-hmm.